Welcome to The Schooled Podcast, a podcast about Christian schooling. We believe that Christian schools are a countercultural, revolutionary movement and a significant part of what God is doing in the world today. Join us as we explore the Christian schooling movement, its origins, its purpose, and its future. Welcome to The School Podcast. This is episode nine. Episode nine. And today we have with us a special guest, Graham Irwin, who is the executive principal, CEO, founder of St. Philip's Christian College in Newcastle, which has expanded to be St. Philip's Christian Education Foundation, which reaches over 4,000 students, 4,200 I think it is now, over 600 staff, and is doing significant things in the Newcastle-Hunter Central Coast region. Welcome to the show, Graham. Great to be with you, Jamie and Josh. Fantastic to uh, be on this show, which is um, fantastic. I listen to it all the time. It's great to have listeners. <laughs> it's great to have listeners. We've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. From the start, we, um, we've looked forward to this interview because uh, your story and uh, your vision has been something that has obviously inspired both of us. Mm. And uh, we're looking forward to the opportunity just to unpack that and explore it and, and hear from you, yourself. So um, we're excited. Excited, yeah. Josh? We, I, I am very excited. I've uh, been a follower of yours for 37 <laughs> years. Okay. Full disclosure. Yeah. Full disclosure is that Graham is my dad. So uh, I, uh, I don't know. But I hold you in high regard and followed in your footsteps. So, so I guess today what we really want to look at is, I guess, a bit of, a bit of your heart for the Christian schooling movement, which you've obviously given your life to. Yes, yes. I guess the first question is, what do you actually do? You're the, the head of the St. Philip's group, but what do you do? Well, I'm a Christian educator. I'm someone who has a call on their life to be involved in Christian schools. So that happened many years ago, um, even before you were around. <laughs> I had this real call on my life to yeah. be a teacher first, and then this call was quickened in me to really be involved in Christian education. So that happened back in uh, 1980. And then in 82, I had the opportunity to start a school. Mm. And so that was just something that I, I loved. I, I've always felt that I've had the best job in the world because I can combine my faith and my profession with, uh, with this adventure of starting Christian schools. So then it went on from there and we started many other schools and early learning centres and special schools, and now we have a teaching school training trainee teachers. So an adventure. The yeah. call became an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And and that era of uh, when Winston Phillips started, mm-hmm. um, it was a time mm. where a number of Christian schools were starting in mm. Australia. Mm. Um, so was that... What was the what was the sense at that time? Was it an exciting time, or was it mm. a was there mm. uncertainty? Tell us about that. Um, it was a time. I think that um, there's always uh, you know, a reason why why something happens, and so it was that things seemed to be going south in general education, and uh, people within the church, Christian people, were saying we've got to do something about this. So the innovative idea of a Christian school came up. So. Rather than just having, you know, an hour of Sunday school on Sunday, here we could be teaching children and young people the faith, you know, from Monday to Friday, yeah. uh, as well as Sunday, and, and they can be getting uh, a top quality education as well to boot. 
and parents were willing to pay for that. So at first all we had was a vision. I remember in 82 when we started the school we didn't have anything and there were parents coming along looking at what we had and not worrying because we, we, well, there was nothing much to look at. Um, but they weren't worried about that. They just loved this vision, this innovative idea of combining teaching children and young people the faith with general education. Yeah, wow. I'm wondering, were the 70s and 80s, it, it seems like a few Christian schools started then, but was it as much of a challenge as it actually sounds like starting a school? Or was it just sort of, you know, were they kind of the, the era where you could sort of do anything and get away with it? Uh, no, no. We, we, Was it the Wild we, West? Yeah, the Wild West, yeah. We weren't a bunch of cowboys back then. We, we, there were rules and regulations to follow back then. Um, we just didn't have the internet. Yeah. So how did, um, how did I find out what mm. other people were doing? Yeah. So it really was uh, writing to other people, asking for their policies, um, going and visiting people and different other schools that I'd heard of. Uh, one trick I used to use was I would apply for every job in a Christian school that was going. That's brilliant. And uh, <laughs> until people knew who I was, then I needed to stop because they, they thought that I wanted the job. I didn't want the job. I just wanted to find out how people were framing up job descriptions and figuring out what kind of staff they needed in their schools. Yeah, wow. So that's how I did it. That's, it, that's innovation. Yeah. And, and then uh, the other thing I do is apply for you know a place for my children. You know, I wasn't going to send you there, Josh, but I did <laughs> write letters uh, to lots of schools asking for their prospectus and their application forms. And that's how I worked out what what does a good prospectus look like? What's a good application form look like? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea it was like that. No. <laughs> What, now, how important was it in those days and, and during those early times to, um, to create those connections with people with a common vision for Christian learning and teaching? Really, really important because we're uh, small schools. We're in this, this movement together. We hardly knew what was going on because there wasn't a lot of coordination. Yeah. So it was um, a really interesting time. But th- th- this... I believe very strongly this was a move of God. This was something that God orchestrated for the times and a lot of people heard the voice of God and responded. And when they did that, then, of course, the coordination of all this came later and there were associations that were set up to help coordinate the administration of Christian schools and help help them with all the issues, uh, the policies and rules and regulations that needed to, uh, they needed to know about within their schools. All that sort of thing started to happen during that time. Um, and it was a, a very, very exciting time. Yeah, wow. Mm. So, yeah. so what I'm interested in is that uh, there's, a, there's obviously a really strong vision there at the start um, mm-hmm. for Christian mm-hmm. education and Sunday school not just being an hour on a Sunday, but mm. like, like you're saying that it's embedded mm. and it's part of the whole learning experience of a young person. And then setting up a school, you've got policy, you've got government, you've mm. got regulations. How did you keep the vision, that initial seed of a vision at the start, mm. how did you keep that at the forefront and not let it get buried in the uh, minutia of all the things that need to happen to practically set up a school? Yeah, I, I think you've got to work out who you're doing it for. So you're definitely doing it for families. You're definitely doing it for students. You're definitely doing it for other the, the Christian staff within your school. 
Uh, you're definitely doing it for the community. So you work out all those things, but the, uh, the person you're doing it for ultimately is God. And so it's really connecting with what um, he's doing. You know, the, the Bible talks about God calling us children, and as we mature in our relationship with him, uh, we understand that, um, you know, he wants to call us friends. And so friends are people that uh, walk together and tell each other what they're up to. And so it's a time where we need to walk with God and understand what he's up to and what he wants us to get involved in. The best thing to do in life is what God is doing, you know, get involved with what he's doing. And Christian schooling was what God is doing and what he continues to do. There's uh, continued purposes, grand purposes, eternal purposes in what we do. So it's really connection with him. If we don't do it for him, then we start to do it for other reasons. And if it comes back to doing it for ourselves, there's always a little bit of ego um, when you're a founder, okay? But it's a matter of going back to God and checking with him all the time that I'm on the right track. I'm not getting too full of myself. I'm not getting ahead of you or, or behind you. I'm with you. So it's a, it's a really active prayer life and a devotional life to God Yeah, that, yeah. that's needed. That's, mm. that's fantastic. Actually, can I ask, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but you said there is an element of ego in a founder. Mm-hmm. Behind closed doors, I know that you don't have ego like a big ego you don't mm. show that at home you know, you haven't when we were growing up and you don't seem to at school but have you ever has that ever been a struggle for you uh yes i i think that um you if you're a founder if you're a leader you have visions that you want to achieve and you've got to be really careful about how you frame those and how you think about them because is it all about your status how people see you is it again about your ego um it's got to be for uh, the kingdom it's got to be for god it's got got to be um submitted to him so i often pray this prayer lord if you if you don't want me to do this then uh, i won't i only want to do what you want me to do and so keeping that intimacy with god is so important because there's, uh, there's fame and there's money in concerned uh, and, you know, people, you know, just because you're the boss, people just, you know, say they, they'll, you know, they'll do whatever and, and people can become yes people. You've just got to be really uh, aware of all that. You don't, you want people to follow you because of your godly leadership, not because of your charismatic personality and they're just following their superstar. You, want, you really want people to follow God. You, want, you, you, know, you don't want to following yourself. You want them to be following Jesus. That's fantastic. That's really mm. cool. So, so 1982, so yeah. that's 38 years, would that be right? That, 37, that's 37, 37 and a half years since... Yeah. Um, exactly the same age as Josh. So... He, he was born um, on the year that the school was born. Yeah. Mm. And everyone, everyone keeps talking about our school getting close to 40, which I'm not <laughs> stoked about. So. <laughs> it be, is coming up. Be, so. That's it. Thanks, guys. Sooner rather than later. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's a long time, and it's amazing to see what's been built. You've talked about prayer, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, sustaining that relationship mm. with God along the way. And obviously, that's a really important part of sustaining through the journey. 
can you talk a little bit more about that and if if and what else sustains you to be able to go the full distance in a career and a calling ministry in Christian education like this? Oh, definitely. The, there are key players in this. My wife and my family, they're key players. So if, if uh, we're not unified in this, if I'm just trying to do it, this is my thing and I'm trying to do it, then it's not going to work. So my firm belief for a husband is that his first calling is to his wife and to his family. Yeah, wow. So, you know, the, the calling to Christian schooling is a calling, but it's not my first calling. Yeah. So I've got to keep that in perspective. And, you know, this is the litmus test here. So <laughs> if I, you can correct me if I got all this wrong, but I tried very hard to make sure that my wife and family were, were first. And, and, and sometimes uh, that didn't always work, you know, and, and other times I probably did okay. Do you want to comment there, Josh? No, I actually thought I remember times. <laughs> I remember a time when we were teenagers, I think, and you suddenly were home by six o'clock for dinner. Yes. And I remember okay. that you'd ha- you and mum had had a conversation yes, yes. about that. And you were making sure that you were home to be with us. Mm. But then I do remember plenty of times waking up in the middle of the night and walking out to the lounge room and seeing you sitting there yes. working at midnight yes. or one yes. o'clock yes. and realizing, didn't realize at the time, I just thought, gee, dad's got a lot to do and what a boring life, um, you know, doing <laughs> yeah, work at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> now I realize how committed you were, but also how committed you were to our family that you would go, well, I will, you know, that stuff, I've, you've got so much to do, but you um, were making sure you had time for us and putting us first and then still managing to do all that into the wee hours of the morning. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. I think the other thing we did as a family was, was make sure that our family members were on board with things mm. like yeah. when, when I took over the the school in Gosford, that was a big job, and yeah. I had to go down there uh, three days a week, every week, and drive down there and uh, make sure that school was able to be turned around. And eventually, it was. But that was a huge commitment. But I remember we all got in the Tarago as a family, and we all went down there, and we drove around the school, and I checked with all the family members: Is it okay if I do this? Because there is a cost. Mm. Yeah. And it's sometimes not, you know, me that bears the cost. It's my family that yeah. bears the cost. So they had a, 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 you know, part in the decision. And we tried to do that all the way. When my wife, Sue, became the senior pastor of our church, that was another conversation with the whole family saying, do you want her to do this because there's a cost in this? Are you okay with that? So, yeah, family, family is the first calling. Wife, in my case, I have a wife. I love very much and a family that I love very much and they come first yeah wow I remember talking to you it was probably several years ago and I asked the question and I, I used the term work-life balance and I remember you said to me oh Jamie we don't do work-life balance we do give and take what did you mean by that well in a day if with a, a an executive position in a Christian school if you if you tried to say well I'm going to go home at five o'clock Every day this week. You're kidding yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, because um, either you're neglecting your duty or nothing ever, nothing bad ever happens at your school, which 
which is a crazy notion. There's no isn't challenges it? in that <laughs> school. <laughs> <laughs> Always difficult things happening. So what I mean by that is if you try to have a, a pattern that you keep to, you won't be able to do it in the short term. But you need a pattern long term. Yeah. So when you... Uh, you are working really hard and having to spend long hours, then how are you going to give back the time to your family and, you know, and make sure that they've got the time that they need? So it's planning that ahead of time. Okay, I've got this thing and I'm going to be out this week a couple of times and so then what? how do we do that? And Sue helped me with that incredibly. She was really good with that because she at times made me attend to the needs of the family and and spend that time yeah to compensate yeah that's mm. great and I, fe- I i personally found that a um a really helpful way mm. to look at it well it's not about finding this perfect equilibrium that you, no. s- you stay in no. but it's about continually making adjustments so prayer and relationship with god sustains mm. family wife yep. that being your first ministry and number one mm-hmm. that is really critical is there anything else that, that would be up there as crucial to sustaining you through a career of ministry in this way? Uh, yeah, keeping peaceful, mm. being peaceful, seeking to not allow the circumstances to carry you away and become very upset at one time, angry at another time. So really self-control, the Bible calls it self-control. So it's seeking God for the ability to control your emotions, which in leadership can go up and down Mm. and all over the place. Mm. So that you're able to uh, greet each person and each situation in the same way. So, you know, you don't get the reputation as a boss of, you know, or he's in the wrong mood. Yeah, you know, yeah. we won't go and see him now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I remember Craig Rochelle said one of the best things you can do for the people that you lead is to be a predictable leader. Yeah. Yes, amen. And predictability. Right. And that's sometimes good. that's looked that's down good. on, oh, predictability is yeah. boring. But yeah. in leadership, it's so, yeah. so important mm. for yeah. people to feel safe. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Is one other area, I mean, you mentioned this before, but you mm. talked about surrender. Yeah. Does that... Is that sort of continued surrender mm-hmm. a one of those aspects that helps you to be peaceful but also to be consistent? Yeah, yeah. Being um, completely given to my relationship with God, yes, wholeheartedly, in without a question and a doubt that this is my life, this is my lot. I've thrown my complete lot in with Christ and um, He is everything. Mm, definitely. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the School Podcast. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Graham around school, faith, and leadership. If you've been enjoying this podcast, don't forget to rate, like, and share. This will help get the word out about this important conversation. <laughs>